0: colour is incredibly important, either through um, the countries you're working in or for other designers who I've been assisting. Um, And it's always been a case that we come from a background where having a white interior is not necessarily the solution.
1: Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country & Townhouse Magazine. Welcome to the House Guest Podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses and hotels you see in glossy magazines like ours. Some of the names will be familiar and others may be less so, but I'm sure you'll recognise the hotels and restaurants they've designed. And if you're in the middle of your own building project or restyle, maybe you'll pick up some tips for yourself. If you listen on the NTEL app, there's more information and images on the projects and places mentioned. Today, my house guest is Philip Hooper, a design director at Sybil Colfax and John Fowler, a firm established in the 30s which helped define a quintessentially English decorating style. Two years ago, the company moved from its iconic Mayfair premises to a showroom on the Pimlico Road. And it's here that I sit and chat with Philip about the importance of colour, what makes a good interior designer, and why it's finally time to take down that feature wall. Today I'm with Philip Hooper. Welcome Philip. Thank you. One of the design directors at Sybil Colfax and John Fowler. Um, Philip, there must have been a certain tingle of nerves and anticipation. To be joining one of the most respected and long-established design firms. Did you did you feel the, the pressure?
0: Not so much the pressure. I I enjoyed the uh, idea that I would be involved in a uh, a company which had a history of design and. I'm very aware that we are continually learning and part of the learning process is to work with people who maybe work in a slightly different vocabulary in a slightly different way and I felt that by joining um, Sybil Colfax and John Fowler I would have the opportunity to add to the knowledge that I'd acquired from working for other designers and for working for myself and so from a perfectly mercenary point of view I didn't so much see it as a challenge but as a, a way of um, building up my own personal knowledge and uh, understanding of the the wonderful world of interior decoration and architecture and design
1: you started as an architect
0: i trained as an architect yes
1: and how does that impact on your on the way that you look at at interiors
0: um i mean one of the interesting things about that is it and i don't know whether this is unique to me in in, in the, over the past few years it seems to be something which is not as common as i thought but being Um, or having an architectural background means that I think three dimensionally and so I am able to think about space um, in a way that takes it off the page and into something which is a, uh, as I say, a three-dimensional sort of matrix which I can sort of walk through and examine even when I'm not in the building itself and I think that ability to think in three dimensions and understand how spaces flow together and how rooms might appear when you treat them in a different way or furnish them in a different way is is invaluable.
1: Are the majority of your projects on quite a large scale?
0: They have been over the past ten years or so. Um, It's quite common to start a dialogue about a project um, and then five years later you're still working on it.
1: I also read that you did spend a little of your time living on a canal boat and I I love that idea of you working in all these grand enormous spaces and then you go Mm -hmm. truck back to your little canal boat. It is a bit
0: bit (laughs) anachronistic isn't it? Um, It it was a sort of very odd time when um, I was uh, I, I was living outside London for most of the time and I needed a small pied-à-terre and having a, a canal boat solved the problem.
1: But I'm um, presuming it was still a rather beautifully designed little canal boat.
0: It did have fabric walling by Claremont in it and things
1: like <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> yes, very nice. You once said that you used colour to emphasise the quality of an interior. Can you describe any of the environments that you've worked in where that's really been very important?
0: I, I, I'm, I've always been brought up in a world where colour is incredibly important, either through um, the countries you're working in or for other designers who I've been assisting. Um, and it's always been a case that we come from a background where having a white interior is not necessarily the solution So what we're trying to do for various historical reasons or or other reasons um, to do with um, you know how things are displayed and as people started to become more and more interested in contemporary art and having an eclectic mix of things around them working with strong colours was a very interesting way of making spaces more dynamic and I started to experiment maybe with my own um, houses uh, just to look at what would happen if you moved away from uh, the sort of perceived notion that you could only display modern things within a white box and so certainly with the apartment i'm currently living mm-hmm. in in london it was a a game of playing with colour on different surfaces to see how pictures would sit against those surfaces and it proved to be very successful and so i felt confident having done that to take that um style and start introducing it into um other people's houses and so I'm sort of guilty in many ways of being one of the first people to start doing the feature wall, which (laughs) (laughs) when you look down my CV CV and think of all the other things I'm possibly guilty of starting. Um, That's one of the ones which um, maybe I um, have to hold up my hand and say, (laughs) (laughs) um, maybe it's time to stop everyone and stop doing feature walls, please.
1: (laughs) So basically you use yourself as a guinea pig to try out ideas. I think you
0: have to. And again, I'm now in the process of working on another house myself in the country, which is a big Georgian one. And again, um, it's about playing with color um, and using strong color to emphasize the architecture of the house as much as anything else. And so, you know, there are very beautiful cornices and moldings and things. And they are made to sing when you put a very strong color around them and they stand out as, as sort of, you know, um, as a sort of, more like a piece of confectionery, rather than a, a sort of architectural detail.
1: When you first sit down with a client, or when you're working with a client, and you're, you, you're getting very involved, and sometimes you're working for years on a, on a particular project, inevitably it's your project, so how do you express the personality of the owner within a project? Because um, presumably that's that's part of, of your remit.
0: Well, of course it is, and it's not me bulldozing my own ideas through something. Um, that's the worst kind of project in a way, when you have no... Um, you have no way of, of bringing out the client's personality if you're given a blank sheet of paper and can't watch to do what you want, it's probably the worst kind of design project because the best ones are always ones when a client does have an opinion and does have ideas because you then end up with a, you know, a, a, a tennis match of knocking ideas back and forwards over the net and the more ideas you knock over and the stronger the ideas that are knocked back, the better the project ends up being and so I encourage people to be part of that process and part of that encouragement is to explaining why I'm thinking about what I'm thinking as being appropriate which may be um, a historical reason or it may be you know something completely capricious but um, there's normally a, a sort of intellectual argument about why X is better than Y and once the client's on board and understands that there's a reason why things need to be then they, they sort of become involved as well and then they lose their shyness in terms of actually saying what they want and so you know a lot of people are for want of a better word shy in terms of saying what they feel they might like and it's making them comfortable enough to actually sort of say that without being sort of shot down by, um, by me and, and telling them they're foolish in terms of wanting to have, you know, whatever it might be within their, within their environment.
1: Mm-hmm. I suppose it's sort of having a pair of flared trousers in your cupboard and, and actually secretly wanting to mm-hmm. wear them but being a bit too scared to kind of show... Mm. that that's what you really like.
0: Yeah. yeah, as I say, it's about building confidence, and once they've got the confidence to tell you what they like, then you can work with that. And,
1: and, and do you think, it, as a designer, that you have built up, also built your confidence over the years?
0: Mm, sometimes. Um, you always have moments of self-doubt, and I've always said that really what makes a good designer is the ability to self-edit. And I think you have to be able to stand back and look at what you're doing. And if you if it's not good, then you have to say, you know, Philip, it's not good. You can do better than this. And you have to be prepared to scrap something and start again. And I think there is a lot of criticism that I can level at the kind of um, design process that thinks just because you put down something on a piece of paper, it's going to be... You know, the best thing ever. It's quite honestly, it's not. And if you look through the history of design, you know, some designers do very good work, and um, it's consistently good. Other designers have high points and low points. And I think it's trying to be strict with yourself and just admit that you know, not everything you do is great. You know, sometimes I have days when I can draw, and sometimes I have days when it's absolutely appalling. And so, you know, you have to be prepared to scrap, you know, some of your work or kill your darlings or whatever you want to say and start again.
1: Is there a project that you've worked on or are working on that you are particularly proud of?
0: Um, Yes, I think over the past 10 years, there's one which is, at the moment, it's the sort of pinnacle of what I've been trying to do in terms of integrate landscape Furniture, colour, a mix of modern and new, work with modern spaces, make things functional. Um, And that was a sort of large country house I was working on, um, which is now finished and is being used by the family. Uh, And, you know, it was a large footprint and very large spaces. And it's a client I've known for a long time. And it was a hugely enjoyable process in terms of designing from the ground up and building a new collection of things which didn't necessarily come from a previous house or from things which were inherited and so in many ways it was starting with a completely clean slate from the ground up with a new repertoire of ideas and furniture and pictures that we could then put together and make sure that everything within the project was all talking to it, each other and I was also had the opportunity to sort of be involved in part of the landscaping as well and so in terms of the ideal which is to sort of have a a very um, sort of homogenous um, sort of interior architecture exterior it was the perfect project in many ways and it, it looks amazing.
1: In a project such as that, would you be taking your client to showrooms or on antique buying trips, or is it a case of you going around and sending her, sending them photographs of things that you've seen or things that you think might work? Um, it, it, it's, it's both. Well? A lot of
0: the time it's going around together and looking at things. Um, and uh, in this particular case, it was looking at modern as well as old things, and so there were situations when the client would have seen a modern piece of um, furniture or something by a contemporary artist and it would say something to her and then we'd talk about it together and see if it worked within the context of everything else we were doing and if it worked then we would, um, we would pursue it. Um, but it's, it was also one of those projects where we started to examine the way in which craft was perceived. As part of the sort of design world, whereas we all know craft was associated with things which weren't particularly chic a few neat years ago, and now the idea of the artisan and the craftsman being involved in a project is 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 you know, completely of the moment, and so that idea of bringing other people in with their um, their crafts and their skills. And you becoming more of a sort of edit- editor or a sort of orchestrator of the whole thing, again, is is what I feel very comfortable with as the, the sort of direction that my, my sort of design work should go in.
1: But when you say bringing in craftsmen, is that for particular pieces or for work within no, for
0: for No, parti- for particular pieces um, in this case. And so they were, you know, standalone items such as light fittings or chairs or, you know, tables, and... Um, that kind of thing but not necessarily looking at normal furniture showrooms for them and so looking at contemporary craft galleries and finding people doing particular kinds of ceramics that we liked and so the ceramics could be a feature on a wall rather than a picture.
1: So it's almost taking the interior design process to another level really? It's, it's, it's such a unique statement that's the, the end result
0: Yeah, it, it is um, and maybe I don't quite see how unique that is because when you're very close to something then it's not until you stand back a few years later and think, gosh, that really was quite something so uh, I, I think that's something I'm most proud of in the last 10 years
1: You've said in the past that interior design is always about having somewhere to sit, having somewhere to put your feet up, a light to read by, somewhere to put a drink down. I th- yeah,
0: and I think that's the sort of philosophy which carries me through the somewhat um, varied projects that I have. And obviously working internationally, I like to be able to reflect the country I'm working in somehow in terms of the design I'm doing. And in the same way, sometimes I'll be involved in the restoration of a, you know, 18th century building and in other times it'll be something which is completely new as the one I've just described. Um, but the same philosophy has to carry through for everything. It's about being comfortable. And if, even if you're in an 18th century interior or you're in a a modernist 20th century interior, you still need to sit comfortably, be able to read and be able to put a drink down and put your feet up. It's just, you may be using <laughs> different furniture to do that, but you're still trying to follow that same um, same philosophy.
1: Yeah. And what about favourite pieces? H- have you found, unearthed some real treasures lately? A chair, a light, a mirror?
0: Yeah, and it's, they're always sort of one-off things. Um, and I, I can probably sort of summon up from the back of my mind a few sort of classic things that I like um and some exceptional things which I found which I thought were absolutely stunning um you know there's a lot of pieces produced post war in France by you know lesser known designers which had amazing details on and things um I've got a cabinet by a designer called Maurice Pray which is which I bought from Paul Smith which is uh, mid-1950s piece of oak cabinetry but it's full of the most amazing details which could probably keep you going for a year in terms of cribbing ideas and sort of paying a homage to as they say um, just in terms of little details of panels and things like that and so when you find a piece of furniture like that which can then move you forward in lots of directions you weren't expecting then that's fantastic
1: we sitting in the Sybil Colfax and John Fowler showroom in Pimlico, and the the, the company moved here. Or it must be nearly two years ago. Isn't
0: it? uh, it'll be two years in January when it became clear that we were going to have to move from Brook Street, which was an 18th-century townhouse, and come somewhere different. Um, it would have been a mistake, particularly with the. Uh, space we've ended up in in Pimlico Road of trying to recreate anything that was a pastiche of that kind of architecture and so what we deliberately did here was to keep it more stripped back but to try and introduce elements which showed the skills that we have as a sort of practice and so obviously one of the things we're very very good at doing is joinery and so when we um, were looking at the designs for the room we're in at the moment we thought it would be amusing to do a very big panelled fireplace and so we picked on a particular sort of arts and crafts theme because it was contemporary with the the building we're in being a sort of late 19th century building Um, and so looking at Philip Webb and the houses he did in the home counties I particularly like Standen, which is near East Grinstead, which has really beautiful fireplaces and although not a copy of a Philip Webb fireplace the blue one we're looking at here certainly has a lot of the details that he used and so a it shows our ability to jump from period to period but it also shows our skill in terms of designing and manufacturing things um, which then get patinated and given a sense of age with some of the painters we work with If you look very closely at the fireplace you can see that it's got a sort of crackled and somewhat beaten up look to it which um, is deliberate in order to give it that sense of sort of history Um, and in the same way that when we look behind us we've got sliding panel doors which on this side are done as a sort of trompe l'oeil panel to show that we still are interested in that idea of specialist painting and the skills that painters can bring to a job but on the other hand on the reverse side uh, more contemporary with panelled leather and studs and so that idea of having different things which perform a function within that space but it also means if you're sitting in a meeting with someone you can say well this is the sort of thing we mean or well, that's the sort of thing we mean and so the, the the building still becomes a vehicle for showing what we do as decorators um, fabric walling, trompe l'oeil painting, joinery, different details on the floor. Um, if we went upstairs we would see that we've got a room which is done in a high gloss lacquer so again you're able to show different, um, different techniques and things which may be relevant to a house you're doing for someone but on the other hand it shows that you've got variety in terms of what you do. But I think everyone was very fearful of the move in terms of um, how it would affect our position within the sort of design world. But it's actually been quite seamless and people really do like the new showroom. Everyone loves working here, and as I say before, the fact that we're now in an environment where we are surrounded by people that we've known for, for decades as dealers and other designers and, and people in associated you know, trades and crafts is, is perfect for us.
1: And your clients would, is this the starting point? Would they often come here as a starting point to hmm, meet Quite you? often,
0: particularly now in this location where we're in a street full of other. Um, you know, design showrooms and furniture shops and antique dealers, and so in terms of people looking in our windows and coming in, then hopefully we've set the place up in a way that will encourage them to come in and engage in a conversation about what what we've got and why we've got it.
1: And anyone could just come into the showroom and have a look round. Yes,
0: you? of course, that's yeah. the whole point of it. We've got you know three floors plus offices here, and so the idea is that um, you know there's a little route you can take through and you can find things down in the basement piled up and not necessarily displayed chicly as they are up here but uh, it means people can wander around and find things and we've got lighting and furniture and upholstery and some of our own pieces from the archive which we're starting to remake again
1: yes um, I noticed that there's a um, a wallpaper design that
0: yeah there's a wallpaper design that we've started to um, redo and then there's also you no know, lighting designs that have always been produced and now we're doing them again but with slightly different proportions and details and again, some furniture from the archive, which we're starting to do as well.
1: What's exciting you at the moment? What are you You finished your... your
0: Big Country project. Um, I am just finishing off a very interesting project in London where we have taken a series of apartments in a 1960s block in St James's and connected them through together to make a triplex. And interestingly, the original apartment was done by John Fowler in the sixties. Oh, nice. And so I got the commission to redo the job. And as a result of that, I've undone what was done by <laughs> my illustrious predecessors. And, um, and I've put my own stamp on it now. And that's in the process of just being finished. Although it's gonna take a while to, to get all the pieces organized. And interesting, it's one of those another strange um, eclectic mix of things where the apartment is is modernist, and I've deliberately done it very modern with um, some quite interesting details. But some of the client's furniture collection is is very good eighteenth century French furniture and other pieces done by the French um, decorator Henri Samuel, and so it was an interesting challenge to see how you could make that work but in a much more streamlined environment which is what the husband aspires to have and so we have a very modern simple box but with very uh, elaborate Louis Car's furniture in places but it's treating the furniture more as sculpture rather than um, yeah. an arrangement of furniture within a room so I'm going to be interested to see how that finally works out yeah. um, so at the moment it's looking interesting.
1: Sounds fascinating. Is there a, a house or a stately home that you would really love to get your hands on, or anywhere that particularly inspires?
0: I've always liked Eastern Neston, which um, has been worked on over the past 10 years, but I, I did see it in its um, original glory with the um, sort of Hicks Library and things in, and that would always appeal. Um, sort of being involved in something on that kind of scale.
1: Is it your house you're doing in Hampshire? You said you're doing a country... Um,
0: I'm, I'm, my own house I'm doing at the moment is in Somerset, um, but I have been working on a very nice estate in Hampshire as well.
1: So how many projects do you have on the go at, at one time?
0: Mm, probably half a dozen, um, but at the moment there's a lot um, outside London, so I spend an awful lot of time traveling. So this year we've been doing projects in uh, the Caribbean, Thailand, the Middle East, America.
1: Is it still your passion? Do you still enjoy every minute of it?
0: Oh yes of course. I think it's more difficult now than ever in a way because you're bombarded by so much information all the time and uh, you're constantly seeing things in magazines, you're constantly seeing things in the media um, and you know there are generations of people below me now who are coming up doing very interesting work. Um, I mean I'm a great believer that you know, as with architects and, and designers, you don't really hit your stride until you um, until most other people are retiring. <laughs> but I think that's just to, just to do with you know the sum, the sum total of your knowledge of the preceding decades, and coming forward and you being ha- and having a bigger vocabulary to pick from and sort of work around. So I think I'm going to be working for a
1: bit longer yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Philip. That was fascinating. Okay. Thank you very much indeed thanks for listening to house Guest from country and townhouse magazine with me carol annett don't forget to subscribe to the series on itunes or entail where you can also find images links and notes to enhance each episode in the meantime you can follow me on instagram at carol w annett and keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk podcast Next week, house guest welcomes design duo Brady Williams, who as well as delivering elegant contemporary interiors for residential clients, also work with restaurateurs Corbin and King on places such as the Wolseley and the new Cafe Wolseley at Bister Village. Join us then.